0: Oh, hunt, 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 hunt. All packers, all the time. We have come light years in the last two months, and people should be over the moon excited about that. Okay, most of the time. Almonds specifically, or all nuts? Well, these nuts, those nuts, whatever nuts, nuts. were. It's Jason Wilde on Jen, Gabe, and Chew, brought to you by Boucher Automotive, with 16 different new car brands and
1: over 35 pre owned brands to choose from. Boucher Automotive, we are driven by you.
2: He is our friend. He is our teammate. He is Jason Willie. He joins us three times a week here on Jen, Gabe, and Chewy. Jason, thank you for you know, being versatile and switching up your time with us on this Friday. Good morning to you.
0: Uh, so this is a Dude Friday with Gabe and a really old dude. The GOAT of Wisconsin
1: sports talk history, right? That's You're the best, 291. I'm not the best. You are, though. Thank you.
2: Uh, what a what a what a fun game! Do you know what 291 is? is? What I'm assuming his high score in bowling.
1: Yes, and it is the yeah, but Gabe, difficult Gabe, or most think, difficult think, score think, ever think. to get. 292 no. is tougher, I was told, and I think that's right. But think think about this game. So you're bowling
0: with the opportunity for a 300, <laughs>
1: 11 strikes like in a row. Yep.
0: You're you're 14 years old. This is your moment of glory. One more strike, and you've managed to create perfection on the lanes of Red Carpet West on 76th and. Now Oklahoma. we're talking. Yeah. And you and you and you and you uh, whack your right leg as you're delivering the ball oh, no. at the foul line, and it skitters across toward the right gutter, and just before it falls off for a 290. It catches the ten pin on the right, yep. I think, uh, and you end up with a two ninety one. So you're you're that close to perfection, and instead, it is one of the greatest chokes uh,
2: in how the you bowling look at history. It.
0: So I appreciate the goat bringing it up every time I call him the goat. All right, what do we got, guys?
2: <laughs> Wait, I, I mean, I've got follow up questions. Go ahead, when, sir. When's the last time you bowled? Uh,
0: the girls uh have had a couple of uh, bowling parties. There's been a couple of times when we've gone out and bowled. I did during my very impressive, though brief, one year at ESPN.com, the big ESPN.com, which I am very thankful to Craig, who was essentially my agent that got me that gig. But the fact that they signed me to a one plus one contract, so it was one year with a option for a second, and they hired me on a day that they let 300 people go. I didn't like the chances of Domofsky and I being a tag team for super long. But they did have their summit every year uh, right before the draft. And they would do the mock draft on TV. And they would get all the writers together. So I went to Bristol. It's the only time I've been there. And they had us all go out and go bowling. And I, I mean, I don't know if this is something that makes me cool or makes me a dork. But I won. I beat all the other beat writers and all the editors. I threw, like, a 215 or something like that. So that was, uh, besides 291, that's probably my greatest achievement.
2: So it's still in there, you know, dormant somewhere. And after your girls get out of, you know, high school and go on to college and you and Paul are empty nesters, then you can start running the lanes (laughs) up there in Green Bay, right?
0: (laughs) join a, a, uh, yeah, a co-ed couples league,
2: yeah. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) Jason, when when you take a look at the Combine, like what what do you think is the biggest thing for the Packers at the Combine? Because I feel like it's changed so much. Really, starting with the pandemic, I feel a lot of the information you get there in terms of the drills that the players do. uh, Matt LaFleur is presumably not going, and the the coaching staff not going once again this year. What's the biggest thing that they can accomplish in a couple of weeks at the Combine?
0: Yeah, I was I've been told that they are they are not going again. Uh and I, I think it's more than just the uh Shanahan, McVeigh, LaFleur crew that is uh giving I don't understand that. Like uh I mean if he's if, if, if it allows the coaches to spend more time with their families and see their kids playing sports and that kind of thing, you know that I'm all in favor of that. What I don't understand is that the scouting combine unofficially is really the the soft launch of the new season, right? And I feel like it's also where there's a, a connectivity. I know, I know I've, you know, I went for the first 20 some years that I covered the team and then I've gone kind of sporadically before uh, the pandemic. I have not gone uh, the last couple of years, but I think it's fascinating because it it is kind of also where you make connections. Like there's so many instances where, you know, like Matt LaFleur said when he hired Nathaniel Hackett that um on that first staff that they had never worked together and didn't really know him very well, but they had, you know, crossed paths a bunch of times at the Scouting Combine and uh, I'm sure they were out, you know, drinking adult beverages till the wee hours of the morning once or twice. And so I'm a little surprised that, that a head coach wouldn't go still, even if you know, even if the GMs and the scouts are the ones who Uh, make the personnel decisions and and I, i i will say this and and i don't have any concrete evidence to back it up but i i have long gotten the feeling that the that brian gutekunst and the scouting staff don't have a whole lot of interest in input from the coaches uh i just don't think that that's what they prefer uh in their process so maybe that's another reason why they've kind of decided well there's no real point in going we can spend more time with our families and our, our input is not all that uh, welcomed or vital.
1: Or haven't they done pretty well drafting, not going? I mean, last, I think last year was the first year where
0: they could have all gone and didn't uh, by choice. Um, You know, obviously the pandemic hit right after the 2020 combine, if you remember. So 21 and 22, I think 21, I'll have to go back and look. I'm pretty sure he went back after the combine or after the pandemic. And then, you know, I think it was either McVay or Shanahan who kind of started this trend toward coaches not going.
2: So I've always looked at this as me then raising questions about the collaborative efforts of those two when Mm -hmm. it comes to roster building. Is this just, no big deal, or does this actually point towards I mean, I don't want to say there's a rift because I don't think there necessarily is Yeah, Rift
0: is too strong. I, yeah, but, rift is probably too strong.
2: But I, I think that there is an element of this is my job, that's your job.
0: Mm-hmm. I I agree. That's how I view it. Now, you know, whether or not LaFleur or Goody would uh admit to that publicly, I I don't know. I don't think so. But, like, again, I, and I think this is a function, and, and this is a good thing, right, the fact that they turned the season around and they had so much success and Jordan proved that he's the guy and all those young receivers figured it out. But if, if you don't think that somewhere in Matt Lafleur, the recesses of Matt Lafleur's brain, he wasn't thinking, God dang it, Could you have made it any harder? We got no veterans at any of the pass catching positions other than Josiah DeGuara, who's not really a tight end. He's a fullback. No tight ends with experience. No wide receivers with meaningful experience. No wonder we're two and five, right? Like, there's even if he didn't vocalize that, maybe he vocalized it to a buddy over a glass of wine or to his wife or whatever it might be. He never complained about it publicly, but I do think that it was challenging, and I don't think it's as collaborative uh, of a process as you would like. Now, one of our callers months and months and months and months ago, back when they were struggling, I thought had a really good analogy about how – because Homer's right. like they, They had plenty of success with last year's draft, and all those guys had a play, and all of them had varying degrees of success, so it was a good draft. We'll see what kind of second-year leaps they do, but it worked. But the, the analogy, and you know Tausch loves analogies, and he really loved this one from our caller, was that it's like stocking a grocery store. And while Ted at wide receiver and tight end might have stocked the shelves consistently, Goody kind of stocked the shelves because a hurricane was coming and he knew there was going to be, you know, a uh, uh, demand. So it was like a, a, a hurried sudden the shelves had been empty. And now suddenly he filled the shelves with pass catchers. And I do think that first of all, from a contract, and I asked Goody about this in his post-season press conference, from a contractual standpoint, you would actually like these guys to be staggered more, right? So they're not all going to be free agents in back-to-back years. But to me, this is one of the examples that kind of speaks to the, and I don't want to say disconnect or rift, but the, you do your job, I'll do mine. I think there was probably some real frustration on that coaching staff with how many young guys they were having to try and figure out how to make them most successful. And on the flip side, I'm sure, because this is how GMs, including Ron Wolf, my, my good friend who I love dearly. This is how, this is how scouts think. Well, I, this guy's good. I picked him. I scouted him. The coaches clearly aren't either coaching him up to help him develop or they're using him wrong, right? I mean, that's how scouts think. And so it's great that it ended up in the end that both of the, the, both of their jobs turned out that they did their jobs well. But there are plenty of examples throughout NFL history where that kind of stuff spirals and you don't have success and things get pretty challenging.
2: Uh, before you ask a question, Homer, I just want to give a quick update because uh, we we are getting to crunch time for Jen Latta making her connection flight to Cabo. A couple of um, conflicting reports for people who are tracking Jen's plane. Uh, Don saying the plane was at the gate 17 minutes early. Brian in the Shaw just a minute later saying the flight landed 10 minutes ago, still taxiing to the gate. We did get a text update from Jen saying that the gate had changed. She had sent us a screenshot, a video screenshot of the plan that she had to get to her terminal uh however ended up um changing gates so i don't know what that's going to do but we are getting a crunch time in terms of the doors closing on that flight uh-huh. she's supposed to get on uh so we will continue to update everybody on whether or not she makes her flight maybe even be joined by jen herself if um if if she you know doesn't. if she does not make it i mean flight. we
1: all agree like she's not making it like it would be even a greater shock now if she made it
2: uh correct yes right, okay. yeah so we're not anticipating on her making that flight. Uh, I'm sorry, Homer. If you had a question for our guest, you you may continue. I no, I that, it was no. Pertinent. The question
1: okay. is the relationship between GMs and coaches. I don't I don't know if this one's better or worse. I mean, they, they right. the GMs. I mean, I don't know that that uh how Holmgren got along with Wolf. I so I don't. How do you to me judge it compared to what the situation is? It, I can see all coaches are mad when they don't like the players. Well, Lafleur's got to feel a little bit better now. So I don't. Is yeah, it no? No doubt he does. What's I, the look, is I'm it not, good or bad compared to others around yeah, the league?
2: As
0: as, as conversations often often go on radio programs, which is one of my many frustrations with how things then go viral and things get taken out of context, etc. Is that. You know, th- this is not a uh, Matt LaFleur and Brian Gudekens don't get along and the Packers won in spite of them not liking each other type of story here. But when we're talking about kind of logistics of the combine and logistics of how they uh, draft players, um, I, I, I think it's my job to try and accurately depict uh, how they function. And I think it's fair to say that. Uh, while maybe other coaches uh, or other GMs uh, took input from coaches, generally speaking coaches' input is pretty low on the on the priority list compared to scouts and that 's for virtually every gm so i don 't think that that is an anomaly what i 'm saying is is that when things aren 't going well, there can certainly be frustrations on both sides, and I think there was of the GM feeling like the coaches weren't, because look, after the season turned out the way it did, there was all kinds of praise from Goody publicly of LaFleur and the coaches, right? But, you know, it was more kind of a faith and hope when they were two and five and he traded away Rasul Douglas at the trade deadline because he didn't think they were contenders um, and saying, you know, I believe in the coaches, I believe they'll get these guys going. Well, but underneath that is they haven't done it yet right because i believe they will um so again i don't i don't want this to turn into some sort of big drama about the gm and the head coach but i would also say this i also think once again there are some reasons to wonder if the way they chose to structure things contributes to this, right? Well, yeah, but that,
1: that part, line. Jason, that part is the GM. The guy who should be mad there is Goody because he can't fire the coach as most GMs can. He's the one guy who should be mad all the time, I think, would be Goody because if LaFleur was a bad coach, sucks for you, buddy. You're not making
2: that decision here. But the the reason why I think this is relevant today is because they hired a new defensive coordinator, and you're going through some schematic changes. And I understand everybody plays Great nickel point. and all these, but it's, it's different. So whether or not, you know, I, I, I'm just curious of how functional the relationship is between coaches and front office, because it seems like a collaborative effort knowing the type of player that works best in Jeff Halfley's yeah. system would be of of importance because of the change at D.C.
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. And maybe, maybe their experience, like, remember, nothing is static, right? And so maybe their experience from last year and the change in defensive coordinator, perhaps that leads to more collaboration this time around. And Lafleur doesn't have to go to the combine for that collaboration to occur. Mm -hmm. We all agree on that. So maybe, maybe there were lessons learned. I mean, maybe after they had success, maybe it caused them to stop and say, hey, you know what, we can do a better job of bringing the coaches in on these conversations, I, I don't know that Goody talks at the combine. I think it starts on the 26th. It's, I think he's talking the Tuesday of the week. So I don't know if that's 27th. Um, I don't have a calendar in front of me. But the bottom line is, uh, you're you're a million percent right that the change in defensive coordinator. While this is nowhere near as drastic as the hiring of Dom Capers and Ted going out and drafting the two most important positions in a 3-4, a nose tackle and an edge rusher in B.J. Raji at 9 and Clay Matthews at 26, there are some differences, and that does have to be part of the discussion.
2: Jason, we certainly appreciate the time. I know you're not going to be on Wildey and Touch today, so we appreciate you jumping on with us this morning. Enjoy however you're spending the rest of your day.
0: I'm headed to Cabo. All right, guys. Take care. Be good. Yeah.
2: Jason, Jen, and potentially some Bucks players will hear that clip. Plus, give you an update on Jen Latta. Did she make her flights? I guess we'll find out together next.